Job has a big problem. What is it, and how can we avoid it in our lives? Well, that's what our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, is talking about today as we arrive at Job chapter 31 on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host on this five-year journey through God's entire Word. Now, as you board the Bible bus and find your seat, there are a couple of letters from fellow listeners that I want to read to you. First, we hear from Barry, who recently posted this note on our Facebook page. I'm so thankful for Through the Bible. I'm currently working through Genesis. Hearing Dr. McGee's voice brings me warmth and reassurance, and his teachings bring solid lessons out of the Bible and into my life. May God bless you all. Well, thanks for the note, Barry. Next, we've got an email from Eliza. I am originally from Colombia, but now live in the United States. I've been a Christian for two years and recently began searching the Internet for Bible teaching. That's when I found you. Every day, I've been feeding myself with his word. Congratulations on this beautiful program that serves as an inspiration to so many people who, like me, are just starting to know the ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Through the Bible family, Eliza. We're glad to have you aboard the Bible bus with us each day. Last, we got a note from Rosie. She writes, Dear friends, I want to express to you my deep gratitude for offering such rich teaching in God's Word. I'm currently following Dr. McGee's study in the book of Ezra. In the past, it has been very difficult for me to maintain my Bible reading, as I would lose focus and never have found a strong motivation to continue on. But with your teaching, I have found this motivation and much more. Dr. McGee's explanations are wonderful, and I feel as though it's a joy to study, not a task. Every day, when the study ends, I want more. Thank you a thousand times for your love of sharing God's Word with everyone. I wish the best blessings upon this ministry. Well, what's your story? What's God teaching you as we study His Word together? Is there maybe a particular book or a lesson that stands out in your mind? You know, you can email us today at BibleBus at ttb.org, or like Barry, you can leave your note on our Facebook page. And remember, you can also call and leave a voice message at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now let's pray and dive into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word and our opportunity to hear it. As it goes out into the world, Lord, please change the hearts and lives of all those who are listening, including our own. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's our study of Job 31 and 32 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we're coming here to the book of Job from here on out to that which is obviously the most important part of the book. And I trust you'll remember me in prayer that I might be able to give what is on my heart to give in this section. Great truths that are here that Somehow or another, it's difficult to lift them out. And these are great truths that are needed today. Now, we are in this last section here. You will recall that we've had a real slugging match. It's been, for the people in that day, more exciting than a boxing match would be today. And these three friends of Job, they lined up against him. And they have really been coming at him. They've attempted to beat him down and make him admit that he's a great sinner. He's committed some great sin. They all approach the problem from a different viewpoint, but they all come to the same conclusion, that Job is a hypocrite, that he's hiding some great sin. And their logic is boiled down to this, that God would not punish anyone as this man Job is being punished. God wouldn't permit it to take place unless 
the man had committed some great sin. And so it's just as simple as that, and yet as complicated as that, and they're saying to Job, out with it. Well, obviously they have given up. The very fact that the last man, Zophar, didn't answer is, I think, evident that he didn't take his place. So as a result, Job just continues to speak. And you have a lengthy discourse here, and believe me, they teed him off, and he comes out of his corner fighting, let me tell you. And he comes out defending himself. And the very moment that he defended himself, Of course, he accused God, and it boils itself down to that. He is saying that God is wrong in this matter. And I suppose that probably the most foolish thing that any person can do is to justify himself inasmuch as God must impute sin. The very minute that you begin to justify yourself, God immediately... He'll have to point the finger at you and say to you what you are. And real wisdom and the correct position is to condemn ourselves utterly and cast ourselves upon God. And when we do that, God becomes our justifier. And there is nothing but wrath for the self-righteous. And there's nothing but grace for the self-judge. And this is something that is very important. Now, Job, as we saw in chapter 29, 52 times, he uses the personal pronoun I, I. He's got eye trouble, a bad case of perpendicular aetis. Now, through chapter 31, we'll begin today with 31, over a hundred times he uses this. And there's one thing. We can say about the man, he lacks a certain amount of humility, of humbleness. There's no brokenness of spirit here. These friends didn't break him down. And a great many folk have come to the book of Job, and they've congratulated him and patted him on the back and said, my, he stood the test. Well, my friend, what test did he stand? He defended himself, but... There's no brokenness of spirit, and therefore the friends never helped him at all. Humility is something today that we do admire in others. I read several years ago this statement, and I took the clipping out of the paper of a columnist, and his headline was this. He writes for the New York Times. He says, Powell, Alley, break the faith, baby. And let me just give you an excerpt from the article, and it reveals something that even today the man in the world looks upon. It says, and I'm reading now, perhaps Adam Clayton Powell's most damaging weakness is his inability to assume the humble manner. The distinguished heavyweight, Muhammad Ali, suffers from the same defect. Ability to wear the trappings of humility is an occupational requirement in certain lines of work, particularly in politics and championship boxing. And he who scorns them invites the vengeance of an outraged public. Now, let me drop down and lift out another paragraph. It says in the same way, 
Alley might have avoided public demands for his drafting by ceasing to dilate upon his physical superiority. We like our champions humble. After they have flattened some poor gaffer for our amusement, we want them to come to the microphone like Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciana and say he put up a good fight. Ali outrages us by coming to the microphone and calling a bum a bum. <laughs> May I say to you, that is a characteristic of human nature today, to be proud. And these two men just don't happen to be the only ones guilty of it. They may be a little bit more brazen about it, but that is something that characterizes the human family. Is this matter of pride? This matter of exalting oneself. And so we find this man Job here. And God here wants us when we come to him, and this book reveals that, he wants us to be real before him. And we can't put up a defense for ourselves. And it's no possible use to try to build up ourselves as if we are some great person or we've done some great thing. For nothing is sure than that everything of that kind must be broken up. The day of the Lord will be against everything high and lifted up. And it is wisdom for us to take the low and broken place. It's the low place that we get our best view of God, by the way, and his salvation. There is a great deal of this coming forward that never leads to real salvation because of the fact that we come in pride. And that is, I think, probably one of the greatest sins of the present hour. And my friend, that was the problem with this man Job. You and I, we can improve ourselves by trying to lower God's standard or to make out as if he's satisfied with us. And we are in danger if we try to believe that. We need to humble ourselves in view of our failure, but... We are to hold on to the great truth of God. Now, we are going to see that in a very special way, that it's the broken and the contrite spirit that God wants on the part of those that are his own. Job justified himself instead of justifying God. And these friends, they condemned Job for that. But they didn't lead him to condemn himself. And this is something important, I think, for us to see, that we must justify God. Paul said, is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And only when we take the place of an humble and a contrite spirit. I wonder if you've ever noted in the Word of God the references that we have to this matter of being contrite and how God approves of it. Listen to Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You see, that is repentance. That is what real repentance is. When you and I 
come to that position. And we need to recognize, as David recognized in that great penitential psalm, when he made his confession, he says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. My friend, you don't come to God to do business with him. You don't come to God to trade with him on equal terms and turn in your little goodness to him. And we need to recognize today that it's this matter of contrition, and you find all the way through. Now, Isaiah, in Isaiah 57, verse 15, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now, this matter of being humble and contrite is not only a problem for the politician and the boxer. It's a problem today for those that are in the Lord's service and for believers' egotism and self-conceit. They are more detestable when it shows itself in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ who made himself of no reputation, and he was humble. Now, how unlike him to see pride today in the lives of those that name his name and say they're believers. Now, the thing is that to reveal today a hateful, unsubdued, self-displayed Christian profession and Christian service, Oh, I tell you, it is something today that is atrocious. And in this section here, I don't think Job looks very attractive. Now, let's listen, actually, to his final discourse here. He'll have another, but he's going to change his tune after this one. Now, I have said all of this preliminary to chapter 31. Now, what we have in chapter 31, he's really patting himself on the back. He continues to do that. And what he's saying here is that he's not guilty of the common, ordinary, sensual sins, but that he's been a pretty good fellow. Now, notice what he says, beginning with verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Now, he makes it very clear that he had lived a clean life. He didn't run around and chase women. He'd not been guilty of that. And he says, For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Now, he's still pointing his finger to others who commit these things. And he says they're to be judged. But here he stands in judgment. And he just can't quite see why it should come to him. He's such a wonderful fellow. And he's about to break his arm, patting himself on the back here. Now notice, he says, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, 
Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. And he's boasting of his integrity. Well, he's going to come in the presence of God before the book is over, and he's going to see himself. And when he sees himself, he won't see much integrity. Will you listen? If my step hath turned out of the way, mine heart walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to mine hands, then let me sow, and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. Job says, why, if I've lived like some others have lived, I haven't lived in sin. And yet here's this man, proud as he can be. If mine heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I've laid weight at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another. Let others bow down upon her. In other words, why, he says, why, if I've done this, then let my wife be taken, if I have been unfaithful and untrue. And I take it that all the things Job is saying about himself are accurate, except he has that blind spot. And that blind spot is these things have led him to defend himself before his friends, and he just can't let up. He must boast about himself. Now, there are Christians like that today. And I personally think that to see a child of God boasting and living in pride today before others, my friend, it's as bad as if he'd gone out with a gun and murdered someone. It, I think, is lots worse than if he got drunk. This thing today of pride among Christians. And that's one of the things that makes our churches so cold. We got saints sitting there that I want to tell you why they think they're all right. Now, my friend, if you're in Christ, you're saved. But your life today doesn't, I don't care who you are, your life is not measuring up to God's standard at all. Now, let me just hit some high points here. Verse 13, he says, If I did despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they contended with me. In other words, he says, I was a capitalist and I was good to labor. And there are not too many that can say that. And of course, the choose on the other foot today, and labor's not being too nice to those of us that are the consumers either. But the point is, friends, that Job could say that he had been considerate of others. Now he says, verse 16, if I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, he says, I have done this. My, this man is boasting, is he not? Verse 19, if I've seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering, and he helped the poor. Job had a poverty program long before anyone else ever had a poverty program. And verse 21, if I've lifted up mine hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, and he took care of the orphans. Now here he goes over this ground again. This man is boasting of these things that he did. And I take it that he did these things. But he's lifted up with pride. And now that he's in trouble and he says this, what he's saying is, God is wrong. God is unjust in treating me like he is. And there are a lot of Christians that are saying that today. Oh, my friend, if you and I can get to the place where we can praise his name above everything, and see ourselves down in the dust and take our rightful place there. 
Now listen to him in verse 29. If I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him. He said, I didn't rejoice when my enemy stumped his toe and had trouble. Verse 32, he says, The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. If I covered my transgression as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom. And he says, why, i just been out with it. Well, he's confessed everything except one thing. That's pride. He hasn't confessed it at all. Verse 35, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me, and that mine adversary had written a book. Surely I'd take it upon my shoulder, bind as a crown to me. What he's saying is this, I let my enemy write out what he thinks of me, put it around my neck like a necktie, and walk up and down the street and say, Look, friend, this is what my enemy says about me, and he praises me. I want to tell you, my friend, Job is boasting here. This man is boasting. Now, these three friends give up. Chapter 32. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. And that, of course, is true. He's righteous in his own eyes, but he's not righteous before God, as we shall see. Now... This all took place before a great crowd that had gathered around the dump heap because this was an exciting thing for people in that day. Now, the three friends are through. They fade into the distance. And to all intents and purposes, Job is one, but he hasn't won. Now, there stands there a man. He's a young man. He hasn't opened his mouth so far, which is unusual for a young man today to keep quiet as long as he did. But this is a very intelligent young man. And now he speaks. He can't withhold himself any longer. His name is Elihu. The name means God himself. And he now is going to speak out. And I tell you, he's going to have a great deal to say. He saw that they friends, they had no answer for Job and that there were two things. Listen, verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite of the kindred of Ram. Apparently, he was a member of one of the Arab tribes in that day. Against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Now, he justified himself rather than God, which meant He's saying God is wrong. God has made a big mistake in my position. Now, he's going to speak. And also against his three friends was his wrath kennel because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. They hadn't been able to put their finger on the real problem with Job, and yet they were condemning Job. They had not helped him, which is quite obvious. Now Elihu is going to speak. Now, actually, he doesn't have the answer, but he's closer than the others were. And I do think he prepares the way, finally, for God to break in upon this scene. And then we're going to get some information from headquarters that all of us need. We'll be moving along 
through the book of Job now. We only have a few more studies here. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. You know, Dr. McGee is right. Our study of Job finishes a week from today. If you've missed any of these messages, you can find them at ttb.org. You may also want to download your free copy of Dr. McGee's digital booklet titled Job, A Man's Stripped Bear. After our study of Job, the Bible bus departs for a study in the New Testament letter of Galatians. I hope that you're going to make plans to hop aboard with us. If you want to prepare yourself, you can download your free companion for our study called Briefing the Bible. This digital resource contains Dr. McGee's complete notes and outlines for every study in our five-year journey, including Galatians. To download your free ebook version, visit ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible or request an abridged printed copy in the mail. If we can help you find that, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Next time on Through the Bible, we'll see that although Job's three friends had no answer for him, a young man named Elihu might have something important to say. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.